Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to part two. Um, I'm still on my walk. I found, oh, look, I found a little bird box. Lovely, pretty little thing. It's our chat with John Waite. Part one is on the feed. Have a listen to that first. You know what it's like. Just walking past a private land sign. I always find those a little spooky. Um, don't know why, I've read too many books. Um, part two is great. Um, very very interesting chat with John um, so I'll stop rambling verbally and with my feet and I'm gonna let you have a listen okay here you go when you did Bake Off you were such a different person I remember hearing you say that you know you've had more image changes than Madonna or something um, <laughs> you know and it's like and have they been in your mind changes or have they been evolutions, I suppose? And, and and do you think when you were in Bake Off, for example, which mm. meant so much to us, you know, the queer people watching, it was such a huge thing. It was like, you know, Will Young in Pop Idol, Brian Dowling in Big Brother, you in Bake Off. And were you being a palatable version of yourself at that time? Or was that just the person you were in that moment? No, I was being a palatable version, I think, because the emotional volatility that was quite clear through Bake Off was true. I was that emotionally volatile person. And to some extent, I am still. But I think I was trying to dumb down the fact that I was gay. Like, I didn't want the producers to speak about it. And when I did admit I had a boyfriend and it was broadcast in Biscuit Week, because he designed my Coliseum, because I built a Coliseum out of gingerbread, as one does, and he designed <laughs> it. I, I said my boyfriend designed this. And I was thinking, oh, please don't let them play it. But they did. They, they put it in the edit. And then we watched it and we were like, oh, my God, check Twitter. What's going on? And the outpouring of love was so overwhelming. Like, people were so supportive. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was a great surprise for people. But the, the world seemed to have adjusted from what our expectations were mm. in a positive way. And it was beautiful. Obviously, there was still some trolling. There still is trolling. Mm. But we don't pay attention to those little small-minded twits. You know, we either block yeah. them or come back with the best sassy retort that we can mm. um, and make them question their existence. <laughs> <laughs> Quite so, right. So, no, but I did. I was. I was trying to. But I don't know if it was a conscious effort. That's what I'm thinking now. I'm thinking maybe maybe I didn't fully know who I was at that point. Yeah. You it's... know, I, I, was, I was 23. I 
was finishing my law degree. I dropped out of uni twice already. I didn't really know how extravagant and camp I should be in life. I think it was just the general. But and to what extent, though, is that is that time for many youngsters a quite a vulnerable time of shape shifting? You know, totally. And I remember hearing you say that you felt like you'd wished you'd ha- it had happened a bit later. Mm. And do you still feel like that? Well, funnily enough, when I did bake, then I did, did Strictly, and some a similar feeling of don't be too camp. That was in my head. Don't be too extravagant. Don't be too camp. Wow. So even if I had done it later, would it have <laughs> changed things? No. Interesting. I think if I could do it now, now that I'm sober and medicated for my ADHD, and I understand the importance of sleep and meditation and abstinence, then maybe I should go back and do it now, and I, it would be a much more pleasurable experience because it was pleasurable I had a great I loved Bake Off we had such a great time but I am my own worst enemy and that I get so involved in things I get so passionate about things I ended up having to you know numb that emotion with alcohol with by staying up all night so I was very immoderate with it it was all mm-hmm. or nothing and for, for for years my life has been all or nothing right a thousand percent or not at all so, yeah, I think if I could go back now, I'd be able to moderate it. And I'd say, right, well, that was nice. Spatula down. Let's get to bed. Yeah. But back then, that little floppy fringe whippersnapper would never have <laughs> dreamed of putting the spatula down and going to bed. He wanted to go and deep throat bottles of Prosecco on Bristol Harbour. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, I say. But even on Strictly, you were worried about presenting as too camp then. That's really interesting. Yeah, I was, because... I don't know why. I think I just had a voice in my head saying, don't be too camp, don't be too queer. Um, I think a lot of it was fear of 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 being rejected again, of, of the of the country saying, oh, I don't I don't like this. I don't yeah. like these gays. I, I, but that wasn't just about my personal ego. That was about letting the queer community down as well. Mm-hmm. Because I'd, I've seen, you know, you've seen like people like Will Young and Dr. Rand really campaign in the past for same sex couples on Strictly. And so I thought, if I, if we become a laughing stock, what message does that convey to little boys and girls and non-binary kids in the bedrooms when they're questioning their existence already? Mm. If they see us ridiculed, if they see us fall, what what message would that convey to them? And I think that was the main source of severe anxiety. So I thought, if I can just conform. I can put my blinkers on and just act like the world wants me to act, then I'll get through in a palatable way and that'll help. But eventually I, you know, let loose, sequins came out and I was extravagant. I mean, we did our final dance dressed in all white. Yes. I mean, it doesn't get queerer than that, does it? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I think you were both going for it from day one, from my, from where I was standing, in an amazing way. But I was really interested to know that originally you'd wanted to be in a same-sex couple but dance with a straight, straight man. Straight man, yeah, I did. Uh, and why was that? I just thought it would, it would be more palatable. Um, I thought mm-hmm. that people would have less of a problem with it. Not that people, the majority of people didn't have a problem with it, which was a lovely surprise. But I anticipated the problem and I thought, well, if it's, say, Kai or Graziano, uh, it will be less of an issue because it's not about sexuality, then it's just about two men dancing together. Mm. But that would have been a wrong move. I think had we done that, I think it would have been a kick in the face to the queer community. I hope in the future that 
a straight man and a queer man or two straight men will dance together on Strictly. I pray yeah. from deep within that that happens because that will only solidify the message, I think. But I think the first message had to be, it was me and Johannes, it had to be. Yeah, because I don't know what you think, but, you know, when I've been talking to people prior to there being a same-sex couple on Strictly and stuff and, you know, it, like it comes up around the dinner table if you're queer and, you know, it's like... I think what's amazing about dance, and people may hate me for saying this, so I'm you know, happy to be corrected. I think what's amazing about dance is it's the mixture of a female energy and a male energy coming together. And there's some alchemy there. And mm. we previously were like, that's a man and a woman. And what's really reductive about that, if you're queer, is you fully understand that that energy can both those energies can be in one person. And it's beautiful. And so to see you and Johannes it did still feel like there was energy. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about male and female energy combining, you know, dancing around each other. Like, and sometimes you were the more masculine element. Sometimes it was Johannes, like seeing that and like swapping back and forth, mm. which also happens with, with male and female couples. That's what's beautiful, you know, and that's what dance should be. That, well, that's that's what it's about. It's about reciprocity and push and pull and ebb and mm. flow and and you know just basically what it is to be human. But yeah. I think because we've we've gendered it for so long, and you know historically it has been a man and a woman. Although in, you know in some countries and some dance groups it is they do dance with, with same sex. But I think because that's been the message for so long, people then assume it is a sexual thing in a way because they you know. They want because let's face it, strictly is sexualized. You know, yes. some of the men have the tops off, some of the women are, have got really revealing clothes on, and that is to appeal to people at home. Of course, it is. We can't deny that. And if we were to deny that, would be being quite ignorant. So yeah. I think the, I think the, the the thing is that there is a subtle sexuality to it. The dance in itself, you're completely right. It's about energy and push and pull. But I think the way that strictly has been marketed for so long is very sexualized, and I think right. that's why actually they they tried to keep me in Johannes you know, in practically in body bags for the, for the duration of it to, to, to mute that sexuality. But some, really? of, some of the trolling that we got was like, I think I remember one guy said to me, I don't care what you get up to, up to in your bedroom, I just don't want to see it on national TV. Listen, babe, if you think I'm doing a salsa in my bedroom, you'd have a shock when you see me, when you see what I actually get up to in my bedroom, when I get the chains and leather and whips out and the rubber, you'd be bloody shocked. So, you know... Yeah. Wait I, till movie week, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just think it's, it's a tricky one because there are so many little tiny nuanced things to consider, but that we have to consider. Like, yeah, yeah it's not a sexual thing, but it has been marketed to be sexual because you've got Graziano with his chopped off hair and his bare chest and his gorgeous Italian equine physique. You know, you, you, they choose those people because they have sexual appeal. Of course they do. Yeah, but also, like, sexual appeal, it's like watching people play with fire, isn't it? I feel like that's the appeal of it. It's like these two people are sort of skirting around what can't be said or done. Like, that's why it's 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 suspense, almost. And seeing yeah. people play with that and take, you know, that's why people always go, oh, you know, when people and on Strictly and their heads go really close and you're like, whoa, you sort of yeah. look at that. And, yeah. Um, I mean, look at what happened to Adam, Pete and Katya when they, when they did their Argentine tango. People were accusing them of kissing. They didn't kiss. They were doing the freaking dance that, they, that had been choreographed by two Argentine experts in the field. Like, 
but, but yes. people want that that they want the stories they want the drama they want the suspense the tension because yes. we're all we're, you know we're all all just we're all just in a cockfight all the time, aren't we, basically? <laughs> yes, we're in a big willy-waving contest, and I don't want Not to Not that kind of cockfight. I mean, a oh, right. like a, an Elizabethan, <laughs> oh. Shakespearean, you know, bear-baiting and cockfighting. And oh, I see, yes. People yes. love, people, yes, we have like a negative drama bias, don't we, as humans, I think. We love I see. the salacious, we love the morbid and the macabre, we love all of that. Yes, it sells papers, sadly. It sells papers. is more or less, he has danced with men in the past, but he is more or less used to choreographing, particularly for the expectations of Strictly and yeah. the audience expectation. He's been, he's choreographed a man and a woman. Mm. So it was a massive ask for him because physiologically, like I was trying to do in our first tango, I was trying to do this thing called the, the big top, I think it was called, <laughs> which is a lie. Um, but I just, well, you do two spins and then you do like a little back bend with, with, a, with a flaky leg. And I just couldn't do it. Like I, I'm too big and tall and my center of gravity is so, yes, you know, vivacious that it just wouldn't allow me to do it. It's just always been a little snapping. Yeah. yeah and so it just didn't work. Like sometimes things just didn't physiologically and physically work, anatomically work. So we had to re go back to the drawing board and that was stressful for him. So I think I didn't really acknowledge how difficult it was for him. And there was definitely a firm boundary between us for the duration, I would say. I think it was right up until the very last dance when I saw him and I was like, I get it. I, and I think I've wrote that in the book, you know, I was like, there he is. And of course, I think we were both, we were both mindful of the fact that I had a partner and we had to be mindful of that. And we were treading very carefully, both of us, I think, subconsciously to just 
to do what we had to do and not get distracted and make sure that we didn't mess it up for the for ourselves but for the queer kids and the, the older queer generation too who fought for those rights there was so much balancing on it so presumably johannes wasn't allocating the male or female part to either one of you he was sort of merging we swapped we, were, we kept swapping right so and did you announce that week by week or no no, no, we, I think we no. did it first because in the tango, there's in the first tango, there's this really dramatic bit where the beat, like, da, 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 and then we swapped. And yes. everyone was like, oh my God, I got goosebumps. Um, yeah. But then we just, that just became our thing. Yeah. But that, that's difficult because to swap the lead and the follow like that is really a difficult thing. So he had to teach me how to follow, but also how to lead. Yeah. Because there are, there are certain moves that are transferable from dance discipline to dance discipline. Mm. So when we pick those up again, I would sometimes have to do that move, but in the opposite direction, and it would be so confusing. Oh my God. So it was, it was bloody, it was, it was tricky for him. And I think he was absolutely, it was remarkable in w- what he did with our dances. But do, do you ever talk to each other during the dance? Because I'm always trying to look for that to see if people are communicating. Because I'm like, surely that, I mean, I know I can see, occasionally I could see like when someone had like Anne Widdicombe, they'd be like left, left, left. But when, <laughs> but when it's the people who can actually really move, are you communicating? Not not, not orally, no, we didn't. We didn't. We'd communicate with looks and stuff. Like the amount of eye rolls from Johannes. And that was part of the problem at the beginning was that I didn't understand what his eye rolls meant. So I think one day I got a bit stroppy and was like, I need words from you. This was during rehearsals. I can't communicate with an eye roll. What what does that mean? So we had to take 10 minutes. Um, I love it. I know. So, so yeah, but, but that's, that's the thing we communicated. That's, that's, I should have written this in the, in the book, but I've only just realized it. Thanks to you. We communicated on the in the dancing. Oh, we did, wow. We didn't communicate in person very well. Wow. For the whole 13 weeks. And had we, had we, it would have been very different. Yeah, but don't you think this is what's so weird about, and what's amazing about these experiences is, you know, my, my day-to-day job is making films and TV shows and they are a bit like Strictly like everyone gets thrown together you've got to be excellent and then you all dissipate after 12 weeks or whatever yeah and it and it's like and by the end you're like fuck if we'd been communicating like that at the front you only just get to know each other and how you're learning idiosyncrasies and no one sits you down and talks about how this will go you're just you just got to work it out on the fly right you do that's but that's that's life isn't it yeah sadly yes that is life. You work things out and then you regret things. You regret things you've said. You think, oh, if only I could go. But you just think, well, next time, Albert, when I'm dancing with a honky South African next time, yes, exactly. I will bear all of that in mind. Yeah. And you've mentioned ADHD a couple of times. And so Riyadh Khalaf, I don't know if you know Riyadh. Uh, yeah, we, we did a live together the other week. Ah, amazing. So he was on the other week talking about ADHD. and I listened to it. Oh, did you? Okay, well, there you go. It's a really interesting... I'm coming from no medical position, so I think it's really bad to say this, but I'm just going to say it and everyone can understand that I know nothing about medicine. I think it's quite a queer thing. I think that... um, And actually, I was reading about the links between trauma and ADHD in one of my many holiday reads. Do you think there are connections between your ADHD-ness and your queerness i think what adhd people have to do is mask Mm -hmm. so as they grow up they realize that their behavior is uncharacteristic and not with what society at large expects of people Mm. so they have to contort and twist themselves 
which is what we've just said happens to queer people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think whether they are linked in a kind of neurophysical way, possibly, possibly not. But I think one definitely feeds into the other because of the shape shifting and the mm. code, the code shifting. So there, there are similarities between the effects of being queer, growing up queer and growing up ADHD, I think. Mm. And they probably probably feed into one another. I don't know. But my friend sent me a tweet by a guy who said that he started taking his ADHD meds, went from being a bottom to a top and then started <laughs> fantasizing about girls. <laughs> oh, fuck. So, you know, watch out, ladies of Wigan. I'm on the prowl. Um, that so far hasn't happened for me. No, I, that's um, code switching. That's code, that's, that's code breaking. So I don't know. I don't know to what extent they are, are linked. But you've also really changed your relationship with alcohol as well lately. And not that not, I keep trying to link things, but I just wonder if like alcohol can be useful for someone with ADHD because it sort of slows the mind down for a minute. I know it's not that simple and that's why we all get into trouble. But, you know, how has it been getting sober? Well, all of the things in the book are... The reason I got my ADHD diagnosis is because I sent the manuscript of, of the memoir to my friend, a dear, dear friend of mine who I've known for years, and she didn't get back to me. And I was like, OK, bitch, is it that bad? <laughs> And she replied saying, no, no, the, the, book's, the book's fine. You know, it's a good read. Fine. Um, <laughs> well, I was a bit bitter about that. But no, she said, the book, she said I, I, was, I was a compelling writer, she said. Uh, but she said, good. the thing I'm hesitant about, she said, was I really feel that this, you've described the life of somebody with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And then she gave me the most beautiful page after page of, of every experience I'd described and how that was relevant to ADHD. Wow. And when you look at studies, not just my book, but when you look at the studies, the scientific journals, <laughs> there are links between ADHD and alcohol. There are links between ADHD and eating disorders. In fact, the medication that I'm on, Elvance or Vivance in the UK or in the US, is Lizdexamphetamine. They use that in Australia and in America to treat binge eating and bulimia. And wow. since, since starting my medication, I have not had a single binge Wow. Not a single bout of bulimia. So I, and also depression, I, in the book I speak about my depression. Mm. I've now, I've now learned and I now realise that that is not depression. That is, that is burnout. I get so frenzied with things and so excited about things and so impulsive. And I don't let myself relax or sleep that I then get burnt out and it mimics depression, but it's much, it's much more concentrated and, and, and shorter. It has a shorter lifespan. Because if in the midst of my depression, someone said to me, oh, I booked you a flight to Canada, you're going to go and work on a farm, which I did do during one of my depressive yeah. episodes, that wouldn't have been appealing because depression takes away everything. It strips you of all your interests. And so that's one of the key differences, I think, or I've read about between depression and ADHD burnout is there is still, there's still something with ADHD burnout that will lure you, that you have a little interest in. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. it makes total sense. My life, my life makes total sense. Mm. And it's all thanks to writing the book, sending it off to my mate, her being hesitant and me chasing her like a That's, dog with a bone. No, it's brilliant. And the one thing I will add when you bring up Elvans, because as I was saying to Riyadh, I've been doing my own research and talking to experts about whether I have ADHD or not. And one of the things that I have discovered in on my little own personal little journey, which I'm not a doctor, but 
is that you don't have to take medication all the time, is what no. I was told. And I was like, that for me is really interesting because I, and they were like, if you get diagnosed age like 41, which I am, they were like, you've probably got enough coping mechanisms that you don't need to take it all the time. You actually just might be going, going into a thing that it's really helpful for and then you can come out. And um, mm. it took me a while to get to that piece of information is why I'm saying it out loud, because I think that would be helpful for people who are listening to you speak about your experience and what yeah. it's the same as theirs. Yeah, I mean, you can go on medication holidays, drug holidays. I, we, you and I were meant to do this podcast two days ago, weren't we? And I, I, that morning I'd forgotten to take my medication. And if I take it past like half nine, ten, I am wired for the day. I don't sleep wow. at night. Wow. And that day was, oh God, the burnout was real. Like I was like, oh shit, she's back. <laughs> she's that old auntie that I didn't want to come around anymore. She's coming knocking by my bins. Yeah. Yes. So I just had to say to you, like, I'm sorry, but no, I can't do today. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the effect of it. It makes you want to cancel your plans and pull the covers over your head. But mm. no, but 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 I'm going to take this weekend off my medication as well because mm. I wanted. I haven't really had that many days off it, and uh-huh. the day the day that I have had off it inadvertently inadvertently was a bit of a, a shit day. So I'm going to try this weekend to have a couple of days off and just see how that goes. But for the most part, the medication for me has been life changing for me. And I know there are side effects for some people. It doesn't work for everybody. But Mm. it honestly has given me a new lease of life. I'm so thrilled to hear that. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I'm aware we've got to finish, but I do just want to talk to you about one last thing, which is just so amazing. It's your cookery school, because I heard you say that it's about community that's actually what it's really about yeah. and getting people together around food. And I know COVID was really hard on it because you didn't receive much help and stuff or any help, I think. No. And how is it going? Is it still a big part of your life? So we are relaunching it. We're reopening it. But we're going to we're going to take we're not calling it John Waits Kitchen anymore. I'm going to call it the Barn Kitchen. Great. Because I think I opened the cookery school and I call it John Waits Kitchen because I thought, you know, it's like Jamie Oliver, like Nigella. I wanted to create this brand. But part of my development has been to dispense with that ego mm-hmm. and to no longer make it about me, but to mm-hmm. make it about the actual location. And the location wow. it's in on the family farm is this 400-year-old cattle barn. It's beautiful, like stone walls. It looks amazing. It's Honestly, I'm so proud of what we've all achieved, me and my family, me and my stepdad. We created it together. And I want, you know, I want, it, I want to celebrate the barn because my sister next door has also renovated the next barn into a Pilates studio. And she's four years sober. She's, she's sorted herself out from drugs and alcohol and she's saved her life. Oh, and wicked. she's now become a Pilates instructor and personal trainer. And so we're going to kind of have this little holistic, I hate that word holistic, but it is mm. really, it does explain what we're trying to say. And mm. Like a little retreat centre for people to come and do cookery classes and do yoga and Pilates and, and fitness. But mm. we'll also do some dirty baking, you know, day courses. Great and that's, and, but that's what it's about. It's about community. People come and they, we start off as 10, well, 10, 11 strangers with me. And we all end up sitting around the table at the end of the day as the lights out, light, the light outside is fading with candles lit. People have got Prosecco and mulled cider and it's just lovely. It's cosy. I love doing it around autumn and winter. So we're hoping we can reopen it um, this autumn. But it is so dusty because of Vic's, Vic's renovations next door oh. that it might take us a little bit longer to get it ship shape. So 
We're working yeah. on it, but yeah, I'm really, really excited. I love stuff like that. And we want to do more of those kind of things for Homo sapiens, because the one thing that we talk about and comes up all the time on this podcast is from listeners is connection. Community, know? yeah. Yeah. And like, just wanting to connect, wanting to be come together as a community. And it's, yeah, I think it's the secret to happiness, actually. I think so too. You know, I don't believe in God in a kind of big bloke in the sky, but I certainly believe in God as in love and connection. I, mm. I really, truly do believe in in that, and I think that's a great idea. I mean, I one of the one of the podcasts I follow over the influence they've actually created. It's a sober podcast, and they've created a sober community, and they wow. go on retreats and they go on walks and they do sober nights out and stuff. And it's so it's so great to see what a podcast can become. Yeah. So I really yeah. hope that you do you do that because. You've got such a good following now, yeah. and you are creating a community. So, yeah, get get walking with the queers, babe. Yeah, <laughs> go and climb betcha. a mountain with the queers. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the end of uh, that lovely chat with John. He's such a thoughtful man, isn't he? He's thought about everything. It's really interesting, you know, he's bring up any topic and he's thought deeply about it. Um, I can certainly relate. I overthink myself. I'm not saying he overthinks, but I know I overthink. And I think what's really interesting about John as well is that he has done so many incredible things, but he's actually coming, perhaps, uh, you know, might seem like everything's sorted for him, but it's been so honest about how there's been times when they haven't. And I feel like it's really nice to see how happy he is, how sort of at peace he is. I think he's been through a lot. And I think that's remarkable and brilliant. And I love his, um, you know, his, his uh, cookery school. I'd like to go to that. I'd like to do something with that. So maybe we should, um, yeah. You've all been wonderful. This has been a great chat. Thank you, John. Thank you to all for listening. Now, don't forget to get in touch. It's hello at homosapienspodcast.com. It's at homosapiens on Instagram. And other facts to tell you. Next week on the show, we've got Bimini. Um, yeah, very cool. Bimini next week. It's a raucous riot. Of course, what else could it be? Get in touch, stay in touch. Loads of love to you all. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Powered by Spirit Studios.